Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Today, we are beginning our discussion about BDSM and power dynamics in relationships. Some of this content is adult content, so if you don't have complete privacy, you might want to consider putting on a pair of headphones. Since the advent of Fifty Shades of Grey, many people have approached me wondering if BDSM is something for them, or saying that their partner has come out as dominant or submissive and wanting to understand power dynamics in relationships and talk about power exchange. In these next four episodes of Sex Spoken Here, we'll delve deep into these areas. For those of you who don't know, BDSM stands for Bondage, Discipline, Sadism, and Masochism. Power exchange relationships are ones in which one person takes the dominant role and the other the submissive role by agreement. Almost all relationships contain power dynamics. They're not necessarily negotiated or clearly acknowledged, but they're there. So this will relate to relationships other than those that are explicitly ones with power exchange. Joining me to start our discussion into these areas and to delve into some of the theory is Dr. Kevin Boileau, psychoanalyst and philosopher. It is good to see you. Nice to be here, Dr. Bisbee. Oh, can, may I call you Lori? Of course. Um, Lori, nice to see you. Thank you. Can I call you Kevin? Yes, please do. Brilliant. So, how would you start a discussion of power dynamics in relationship in general? Well, uh, there's a lot to say. And uh, everybody, first of all, everybody has different uh, levels of knowledge of it. People have their own perspective about it. And so I think a good way to start a discussion, uh, either, whether it's informal or formal, it is to put on the table that, that everybody's perspective really is different. And that's part of the, the enjoyment of even having the discussion, that, that we all align ourselves in different ways in the discussion itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, continuing, continuing on, uh, you know, in preparation for today, I, I started considering uh, various elements of what we're going to discuss, and uh, I've uh, I've been a consultant for a number of psychologists in this area who who feel a discomfort mm-hmm. sometimes in talking to their patients and clients about these matters because they're they're private. They're, they're certainly intimate, and I think that, that when people have these discussions, they share you know, really deep 
vulnerable parts of themselves mm -hmm. in the discussion. So one of the, uh, did you want to ask another question or did you want me to go on? Well, I mean, I think what I want to know, I think first is if we set the stage, what do you define when you talk about power dynamics and, and then power exchange, how do you define these terms so that we've got kind of like a level playing field for how we talk about this? Well, I think a lot of people who, who, don't, who, who don't understand this discourse and who've maybe never participated uh, intentionally in these behaviors have a lot of uh, misunderstanding, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one thing. Um, I think a lot of people who I've talked to um, think that engaging in uh, adult uh, uh, forms of BDSM is somehow uh, wrong or mm -hmm. immoral or um, mentally ill. Uh, and I, I think that's where a lot of these conversations start. If, if you really think about it from a a point of origin or phenomenological sense, mm -hmm. a, a lot of people are shamed in even having the discussion. So, so part of the discussion, I think, is to um, encourage uh, people to share and give permission in some way that, that this is just uh, a part of our normal everyday life anyway, whether or not we're aware of it. Um, I suspect that uh, a lot of people have not considered um, or thought about very much the idea of power, mm -hmm. or, power or power dynamics. Uh, in the first instance, sometimes when we think of power, we think of um, governmental bodies, you know, mm -hmm. military forces exercising power over another. We think about power when we talk about um, sexual assault, mm -hmm. uh, people exercising power over another person. Um, in racial matters where, where police often um, unjustifiably exercise power over certain individuals, but maybe not others. Mm -hmm. So, so there's, a, there's a shame-based connotation. I think there's also a negative connotation, mm -hmm. uh, and in some ways an immoral connotation. And <clears throat> it's a really uh, uh, beautiful conversation to, t to take that starting point and to engage in uh, respectful dialogue and get to the point where uh, we can start to see that um, uh, intentional adult um, agreements to enter into um, pleasurable BDSM behavior um, is not pathological at all uh, and that it's in a lot of respects positive, uh, healthy, uh, and can provide um, a new forms of intimacy mm -hmm. for for strangers as well as acquaintances and, and committed couples. I think one of the things that's always been really interesting to me is that the number of people that will present with, in in mainstream relationships with issues in their relationship that have everything to do with the power within the relationship. So who is the one who's earning the money? And what are the expectations because that person is earning the money and the other person is staying home or isn't, in, in effect, is seen as not contributing as much. So the power appears to lie with the person, in that case, who's who's bringing home most of the money. And that these this issue of where the power lies 
is a problem in the relationship without ever being spoken about um, and without ever being negotiated and agreed upon. Whereas in, in a, a BDSM relationship where there's a power exchange, it's actually stated and negotiated. So in that way, from my perspective, seems quite a bit more healthy because it's being talked about and acknowledged. Right. So what you're bringing up is the issue of autonomy, <laughs> the issue of self-awareness, mm -hmm. uh, the issue of agency. Um, the and Because I do psychoanalytic work, the, the notion that, that maybe we're not completely conscious of everything that we do in life. Um, and, and that's the philosophy of mind that I accept, that, that I'm, I, I strive towards awareness and self-awareness, um, but maybe I'm not completely aware. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's a, I think that's an issue that, that, uh, that we can talk about. Um, I like to think of power as, a, as an alias or as a word. Mm-hmm stands in for uh, the strategic and tactical relations um, in a particular domain of a relationship, mm -hmm. for example. So, so power is not necessarily uh, a thing that, that somebody holds, although sometimes it looks like that, but it's, it's more of a word that describes uh, the uh, uh, strategic valence between two people. So, so there can be, and we can describe them. So, for example, there could be one strategic balance um, in a married couple's life having to do with money. Mm -hmm. One person could have a lot more money than the other one. And that does create uh, an imbalance, right, because there's an asymmetry. And by definition, that creates a, a, a certain form of, of strategy and tactics in that part of the relationship. Uh, in other parts of the relationship, sexuality, um, general knowledge about life in various areas, um, those strategies and tactics or the, the power situation um, changes. Mm -hmm. So you can, have, you can have several types of uh, dynamics in, in a long-term marriage, for example. It's not just one, uh, although it can, it can start to seem like one overall um, strategic interplay between two people um, so so I, what I encourage you to be getting at what I think is really important is that um, people who've never even heard of the term BDSM or bondage or discipline or sadomasochism they have those dynamics already in their relationship anyway they just don't think about them like power is present everywhere all the time uh, in my view Power, power dynamics exist everywhere just by nature of being, uh, you know, in, in a relationship all the time. So we have, we're always social. And, and so certainly if you're a coupled in a certain way, and, and I'm not sure if you want to focus on married couples or committed couples, but, but certainly that, <clears throat> that's a certain domain in which we can talk about BDSM. But it's also true that people who are relative strangers Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, light acquaintances, or people who are possibly friends of some sort, people who are not committed marital partners, they too can enter into uh, BDSM uh, dynamics, uh, either for a couple of hours, uh, a weekend, 
uh, or longer, depending upon the agreements that they make. So I, I think it's very, uh, in some senses, liberating and eye-opening for um, what, what some people might call vanilla individuals, people who've never engaged in non-bourgeois forms of sexuality, you know, where sex is primarily something that you do to procreate and it's, it's within a certain social political frame, um, you know, often uh, informed by religion. BDSM has a tendency to be a lot more creative mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot, a lot of choices that you can make within that. So, um, so that's one thing. We, I, think, I think individuals in the conversation can, can discuss what power means what power dynamics means, uh, how to talk about these issues. Uh, I think that the the other element here that we haven't mentioned yet is um, emotion, Mm -hmm. uh, feelings, because, you know, anytime we're talking about deep regions of the self, uh, we're talking about feelings. Feelings are always going to be present. And I think that in some senses is harder uh, for, for most people to access honestly and then and then talk about wouldn't you say that's true i would agree and and i think particularly when you start talking about sex and intimacy it becomes it becomes even harder absolutely because from my perspective given the work that i do when you, when you start talking about first of all when you have a, an intimate partner you're going to be in principle uh triggering um Mm-hmm. early childhood experiences in your memory. You're going to be triggering any traumas that you might have experienced, um, any failures, any setbacks, any dysfunctions in your early relationship with, with the maternal object, your mother or, or your father, paternal object. So it can, and especially uh, if, if you're married or partnered and you're exploring BDSM, um, I think it's a very liberating thing to do. I've, I've, and I know I'm jumping ahead 50 steps here That's fine. Um, by saying this, but it's, um, I think if done in, in a constructive, intentional, respectful way, um, BDSM dynamics that are freely chosen can be very healing uh, to old trauma. Um, I've seen this happen, um, even without therapeutic intervention people can heal a lot of things inside themselves now it's also true that that people um as we do in life when we we don't become world-class tennis stars overnight you have to pay your dues you you learn along the way and i think that that we can hurt ourselves by exposing uh, vulnerable parts of ourselves in a bdsm dynamic that we might not be ready for um or, or perhaps the the mutual contract is not it's not done in the right way that's that's um, psychologically safe so but but that's more of an issue of praxis or mm-hmm. you know kind of a concrete issue that we could we'll talk about um, uh, later on in in our discussion so but I going back to the very beginning I think it's really important to create a safe environment uh, for individuals, whether it's in a small group format, you know, to talk about it, um, or uh, or in a dyadic 
situation. I think it can be extraordinarily difficult because of shame uh, for two people to have the discussion. I think it can be very helpful um, if there's a third person present, say a professional sometimes. Uh, so for example, um, uh, sometimes we see very uh, uh, sedimented or uh, rigidified dynamics uh, in a marriage and, and it's kind of like a cul-de-sac uh, or in a partnership where there's no room. There's no room for creativity. There's no room for change or transformation. Everything has been locked in. Two egos just clamping down on each other. And, and a good therapist, um, a good counselor can actually help unlock those energies uh, to create um, uh, whole new levels of relationship and even types of relationship uh, you know, in, between two people who are, who are already committed. Um, and part of that discussion can certainly involve um, bondage, discipline, and sadomasochistic dynamics. Um, did you want to talk just a little bit about what what BDSM means? Um, yeah. Did you, or, or did you want to? Or did you want to? Did you want to hold off on that? Um, I think I'd like to kind of move into talking a bit about that and and and. Um, <clears throat> setting the stage for going deeper into that. Yeah. So let's just talk about it generally. Let's let's, and for, for anybody who's listening, um, but we, we want to stay general right now. Um, this is a kind of discussion I think that works really well by going a little more slowly and building into, into more um, say uh, nuanced um, levels of understanding. So, I mean, obviously with bondage, right, you know, you tie somebody up. Somebody's being tied. Somebody's being restrained. Um, and that, that could potentially be um, a blindfold. Mm -hmm. It could be having your, your hands, your wrists, your arms, your legs, different parts of your body restrained uh, through ropes or, you know, other instruments, other materials. Um, discipline. Uh, I think that's a very titillating word. Um, it has a lot of different connotations in the Western culture. Mm -hmm. You know, the discipline in, in itself is when you get up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, and you eat your breakfast and you get yourself to your, to your job, you take care of your kids or whatever. So it means having a life practice yep. that is consistent and reliable. Um, we think also of more pejorative forms of discipline uh, in some senses, where we, we discipline people who are subjugated to us, possibly children. Uh, in the old days, uh, you, when you discipline a child, it meant that you were spanking them. Yep. I disciplined my child. Um, so uh, disciplining another person um, means somebody's the discipliner. Mm -hmm. so, so, and this, and this does really, um, believe it or not, uh, uh, Harken back to Greek philosophy in the Stoic era, um, and and there's lots of discussions in the Stoic philosophy is about the different elements of the active and the passive. Right. Uh, and uh, many many books were written on this, but certainly in in disciplining, there's somebody who is taking the active role mm -hmm. uh, and, and disciplining the other. 
presumably in this discussion and in this context uh, for some kind of mutual pleasure mm-hmm. that and and discipline could could mean spanking somebody um, uh, in a way that brings um, an admixture of pain and pleasure uh, physically but emotional pleasure overall it could mean requiring somebody to, to engage in certain rituals mm-hmm. of any of any kind um, you can discipline somebody without ever spanking them. You can say, "Look, here, you know, here's your here's your task list for the day." Mm-hmm. That's a discipline. Yep. Um, certainly, people who are in the lifestyle. Um, so it could be almost anything that you want it to be, and we can get more into that as we go. Sadomasochism um, is a complex topic. Very. It's something that I've I've actually researched and written about for decades. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but but certainly, um, I think again, when people when a lot of people hear that word, people who are normalized in, in Western cultures, they they when they hear the words, they're they're they take they're taken aback a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, masochism, masochism. So uh, for one thing, um, sadism, real and true sadism, is a very dangerous subjective uh, subjectivization in our culture right now. We have a lot of sadists who are very violent and they hurt others. And and we can be honest about that. It's absolutely true. These are people who have various levels of, of psychopathology and they, they hurt other beings. Masochists um, have in some ways a more complex self-structure um, and, and like to beat up on themselves in some way and often through the intervention of a second Third or, or more people, masochists um, typically, and again, I'm speaking really generally, um, like to be hurt. They like pain, but but the story. So, uh, and and often being highly masochistic is not necessarily a healthy thing. No, right? If I can, right? So so the the point I'm trying to make is that there really are um, uh, conditions in humans that are that are concerning. And um, that family members would be concerned. Everybody is concerned. But that aside, there are deeper theoretical ways to talk about sadomasochism, which we will when you know later in this in this interview. I, w- I want to talk about it. What it means for self structure. Um, it's something. It's something that's very fascinating that that we can unravel together. But but right now, staying staying a little more introductory in general. Um, in, in a sadomasochistic dynamic between, between two human beings, in simpliciter, um, the, the sadist is objectifying the other person. Right? We, have a, we have a subject and an object. The mm-hmm. sadist plays the role of the subject. And, and in some ways, either very coarse or very, very nuanced and sophisticated, dominates the other person who we could call the masochist. And in in the the context in which you and I are talking, these roles are are freely chosen. Right. And and that but but I do think it's important to note and especially in a to be professionally diligent and professionally ethical, you, you have to raise the issue concerning level of awareness yes because it's really hard it's really hard to 
to to art to make the argument that that everybody is completely 100% self-aware that they want to be the masochist in this dynamic or that they want to be the sadist. Uh, I, I don't think that's true. I, I, think I, that, I agree with you. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do it. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I've had a lifetime of experience and consultation, writing, research, thinking about these issues. Um, sometimes people enter into these dynamics um, when they're younger and they're, they're unwitting, right? And they get themselves in a bad situation with, with another person who's unscrupulous. I mean, but, but, yeah, go ahead, please. I, I do think it's a really important point to make that um, because often this is dealt with in a very black and white manner. We've got people who are sadistic in the world who just like to hurt people. They have pathology. We have people who are masochistic who probably don't even realize they're masochistic who find some pleasure in being hurt in a variety of ways, often emotional. And that's one thing. And then sexual sadism and masochism is another thing when in fact, and one's okay and what isn't okay. Right. When in fact, actually this is, there are, it is very nuanced and there are people who enter into sexual masochistic and sadistic relationships who aren't aware fully of what they're doing and can be damaged in the situation because of that unawareness or because their choice of partner, as you brought up, a masochist, ends up with somebody who is unscrupulous and will take advantage. Right. And another problem on the other side, you know, when you, you fall off the horse and you get up on the horse and you fall off on the yeah. other side, is that uh, people who are more, I would say, junior or introductory to this lifestyle or these behaviors can so overly rigidify the roles that are being played that yes. they, it becomes a theater, a caricature, a theater, a play, um, rigid and, and, and non-creative. Mm -hmm. and, and, and by definition, an, an, a non-creative dynamic doesn't allow for growth mm -hmm. uh, or, degree, or degrees of freedom. And I think a lot of times people who do that are are dissatisfied uh, with the experience. It doesn't really give them anything that they're looking for. So hopefully we've opened up for, for your listeners the um, complexity of the topic mm -hmm. and, and that I think it's good to reserve judgment. Uh, there, there's a lot more to learn about it. Um, so uh, on, on the issue of Degrees of awareness or, or agency. I wanted to say a few more things mm -hmm. that are not that are not so concerned about health or hygiene or anything like that. Um, but if you <clears throat> and everybody comes down on this differently, if you accept the idea that perhaps the the mind that a human has has some conscious elements and some unconscious elements. And, and I can usually get most people to go along with that, that, that we're really not aware of everything, that we have um, impulses and motivations operating in our self-structure that we're not completely aware of, and, and we call those unconscious. And, and I operate within that framework, but I also operate within the, the, the notion that there can be a communication between the unconscious mm -hmm. and what is conscious. 
and, that, and, and that's how growth occurs. So, in other words, I'm living my life in a certain way. And let's just say that I'm in a, a long-term committed relationship with one partner. And we've gotten ourselves into a sexual dead end. It's, it's lifeless. We're not satisfied. It's not bringing us close, closer together. Uh, we're frustrated. So with the, the unconscious um, can be a reservoir of, of new elements, new aspects, a whole lot of new fuel. And I, I've seen most people do quite well um, with, with you know, doing couples work by getting permission to listen to intuitions or vague impulses or you know those urges that we have that we want to do that and, and that that feel quite natural until something like the superego comes in or the, the you know the the voice the should not voice comes in and says oh no that's not appropriate or that's wrong or that's evil mm-hmm. something like that so and and this really triggers uh, a conversation uh, about eros because we're really talking about eros we're talking about uh, and, and I'm actually writing a book and writing a long section on Eros. Eros involves a reciprocal exchange between two people. Mm-hmm. And in BDSM uh, lifestyle or or in, uh, encounters involve this uh, mutual exchange, and, and that is actually the very essence of Eros. It's it's a mutual exchange. It's a it's two gazes coming at each other it's about desire and trying to figure out the nature of that mutual desire and so I think part, part of the benefit of, of experimenting uh, and participating in, in BDSM is it has a creative function mm-hmm. and it's to ex- explore to a deeper level how Eros operates in your own humanity in your own being now, some people, unfortunately, have a facticity or a certain self-structure, personality um, arrangement, such that thinking about these creative um, ideas is too hard. It creates a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and, and typically, people like that are anxious about all sorts of other things, too. It's not just sex. Right. It happens to be that, that sexuality is so deeply personal and intimate and unique that that that's where it, you know, we can see these anxieties manifest very clearly. Um, but it's a really good opportunity uh, if a person wants to grow, ha- wants to have uh, a deepening relationship with, with life, because that's another element in, in Eros, in the mythology of Eros. We're talking about how you harness your own life energies, mm-hmm. how, you, how you participate in life, energies and one of the things that most people have shared with me over the years is that they they like this venue or this this behavior this way of thinking because it's it's an actual opportunity for creative expression Mm -hmm. and transformation Um, and in some ways more than um, maybe other paths might might take us you know like learning how to be a painter (laughs) <laughs> that's a creative form. that's a creative but that's a creative form it sure is um and but but engaging in this interrelational 
um, dyadic or triadic uh, or more um, expression, I think is a highly, highly creative um, venue. What I've also seen too is um, people who who engage in BDSM are often very uh, empathetic. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they do have a quest for self-awareness. And if you take those two elements, usually what creates or gets created is uh, a highly morally sensitive person. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see, and this is very interesting uh, and I think good to put on the table, the BDSM exploration at whatever level, whether you read a book or you, you're in the lifestyle, um, it actually creates a critical thinking, concrete path to become a more evolved moral human being, as opposed to individuals who um, completely resist even considering such dynamics. Individuals who resist creativity and transformative dynamics that are out of the box or a little unfamiliar typically engage in very simplistic moral reasoning, often black and white thinking. And that doesn't allow uh, for a person to make the, the difficult and sometimes complex decisions that we have to make in life. So I think it actually can help a person develop their own uh, sense of being a moral human being. Because they have to actually think about contentious issues, difficult issues, actually quite consciously and work their way through. Right. They're called upon to to take responsibility mm-hmm. with capital R to be responsive to or responsible yeah. for the other with yeah. capital O, the other person. Um, because there is a contract, either formal or informal, involved, you're making agreements to explore and experience. And, and therefore, in principle, you're called upon to really think about what you're doing and how you're treating mm-hmm. the, that other human being. I mean, I really, so I really agree with that. Um, my experience with people who do explore this area is that they spend much more time working towards their own awareness. And consciously looking at their behaviors in relation to others. Right, because by definition, engaging in this type of behavior requires self-awareness and self-responsibility towards mm-hmm. towards the other. That's right. That's absolutely right. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to I'd like for us to take our break, and and then we can uh, we can pick it up um, at our next segment. That sounds great. And, and so whenever you'd like to um, close our our meeting for today, it's fine with me. Okay. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, part two of this interview will air next week. Thanks for joining me this week for Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Please write to me with suggestions for the show and questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter 
and it's Dr. Bisbee is my handle there. And for a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click the button that says schedule now. I look forward to seeing you next week for part two of BDSM, power exchange, power dynamics, and the reality of the 50 shades. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.